Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign from scratch for you to run for your group, and uh, we do it free of charge. As you know by now, the Fallout game is the subject of this season, and if you're still in need of a book, check out your local game or bookstore, or if you don't have one of those handy, you can check out the Modifius Entertainment website. That's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Now, before we get into the show this week, I wanted to take one more moment to remind everyone that Archon 46 starts today and will be at the Gateway Center in Collinsville, Illinois, all weekend long. When I dropped both this show and role-playing history today, I also cut a special that goes into greater detail about Archon 46, so I'll just encourage anyone interested in seeing us and checking out an awesome convention, check out the Archon website, A-R-C-H-O-N-S-T-L dot org. So while I'm looking forward to seeing you there, here we need to get to our build for the week, but of course, before we can do that, we need to recap what we built last week. We began with the group staring at the burned remains of the third base saloon. They might have helped out in the aftermath, but they were certainly looking for the Brotherhood of Steel team they'd been helping out over the past several days. When they checked where the group had been staying, they noticed that not only was Paladin Zane's power armor missing, but the communication gear they'd been using was also gone. They also learned through their investigation that the Brotherhood of Steel got Victor out of Diamond Pass without incident, as nobody remembers hearing any sort of commotion. The group hit a wall, but got another letter from their mysterious benefactor, who directed them to the Old Fox Theater, where it was believed a group of some strength was setting up. When the group checked it out, they confirmed that there was indeed a lot of security set up for one building. That's where we left off last time, so let's pick up there today. The groups finished their recon of the Fox Theater, and it should be obvious to them that trying to get inside is not only not going to be easy, it's probably going to be one heck of a fight. So, they've got to make a decision. Do they fight their way in and hope they find something worth the effort, or do they see if they've got any other options to find Victor and or figure out what's going on inside the theater, without having to fight their way in. Now, obviously, if they want to fight, we laid out everything that they're going to have to deal with last week, so just run that scenario. Just remember that as they engage the security forces, some of the security from the rear of the building, or the front if they attack the rear, will come around to assist. And don't forget to utilize those snipers on the roof. Now, this is going to be a long battle, so if they decide to do this, figure out if you've got enough time to run it in the session you're playing in, because if you're like me, you probably hate to end a session mid-combat. Usually, if I know if one of these slogs is coming up and we're not going to have enough time, even if we go over a little bit, I'll actually just cut the session short so that we start fresh the next session with the combat. Just a friendly little piece of advice from me to you. But, as I pondered the options over the past week, it occurred to me that we do have some options I hadn't considered. So, let's build out one or two of those. I mean, not every group is a batch of murder hobos, so let's see if we can find a way to be more diplomatic. This is going to require us to back way up in our story, so we're going to need to jump into the old DeLorean and head back to before Victor went missing. 
plug this in wherever you feel is best, though I think I'd put it in somewhere after the group's initial encounters with the Brotherhood of Steel. Oh, and if you didn't get the DeLorean bit, look up Back to the Future wherever you check for movies. The first one is excellent, so make sure you check that out. And the discussion can be part of any discussion you want to have, but it needs to be when there are no Brotherhood members present other than those who are already party members. So if you need to set up a meeting for this, use whatever method you want to in order to facilitate. Victor's going to seem to be a bit distracted as he speaks with the group, but after a few moments, he finds his focus and gives the group his keep this between us glance. I recently received a note from a fellow businessman who has concerns about activities in the neighborhood he operates from. Apparently, there is someone doing a lot of work on the Old Fox Theater, and the amount of security they are placing around the building has him very wary of the future. He identifies his friend as Warren Lee, and the physical description he gives the group is one of the men who greeted him warmly when they went to the Twisted Tap the night they first met Longsworth. In fact, as they think about it, Victor spent more time speaking to Lee than he did to anyone else, and even though it wasn't that much, it was still more. Victor explains that Lee handles services that don't conflict with Victor's, and they've been known to do favors for each other from time to time. So when Lee asked him for assistance, Victor couldn't say no. He asks that the group head to Lee's office, speak with him, and take whatever actions they feel are necessary, based on his request, to deal with his issue. He specifically gives them free reign to do whatever they need to do to get the job done. All he cares about is that they get the job done and that Lee is happy with it. The address they get is where Powell Symphony Hall stands in our world. It did in the Fallout world as well, but it took a decent amount of damage and has been somewhat rebuilt. Instead of the symphony hall it once was, it's now a high-end, let's call it gentleman's entertainment facility. There are two Protectron robots standing guard on either side of the door, and when the group states their reason for being there, they are allowed inside. Once inside, they're greeted by a statuesque blonde female in conservative dress. She identifies herself as Lucinda and notes that she's Mr. Lee's personal assistant. She acknowledges that Victor had sent word ahead that he'd spoken to the group and that they'd be coming to speak with Mr. Lee. She escorts them down a hallway to the side and into a small sitting area outside a set of wooden double doors. She asks that they take a seat as she checks to see if Mr. Lee is ready to see them. She opens one of the doors slightly, slides in, and then shuts that door behind her. After several minutes, she opens both doors wide and welcomes the group inside. And the office is huge. And by huge, I mean Victor's office would fit in here at least twice. The mahogany desk Mr. Lee sits behind is also enormous, and it might occur to someone that it was probably a conference table before the war. Now, it's covered with paperwork, folders, ashtrays, and empty Nuka-Cola bottles. Sitting in the big chair behind that desk is a man of Asian descent in his mid to late 50s. His jet black hair is slicked back, and his black pinstriped suit coat is hanging from the back of his chair. It's obvious he's nervous, and if it's not the look on his face that gives it away, it's the fact that he's chain-smoking cigarettes. He literally lights a new one off the smoldering stub of the old one. He blows a cloud of smoke out as he stands to greet the group. 
He shakes hands with each member before requesting that they sit and has chairs brought for all of them, either by Lucinda or by the previously unnoticed super mutant standing over to the side. The mutie nods at the group as he sits their chairs in place before returning to his post at the side of the office, arms crossed across his chest in a casual position. Mr. Lee doesn't waste a lot of time before he speaks. I am aware that Victor gave you the background on my situation. The situation at the Fox gives me pause as the amount of building over there leads me to wonder if someone isn't trying to take over my business and run me out. Now, he does admit that he doesn't know anything specific that would lead him to believe that, but he also notes that all of the people he does business with in the city have denied having anything to do with the building, and while there are a couple he doesn't trust any further than he can throw them, he doesn't believe any of them, short Victor and Melanie Zombrowski, have the muscle to pull a stunt like this. And he's positive it's neither of them, since, as he says, their businesses are very secure and very profitable, so there's no need for them to hone in on mine. Now, Lee doesn't want to destroy the theater or start a war, at least not yet. What he'd like to do is find out who's behind the renovations first and then take action. To that end, he needs the group's help. He knows it's going to take several steps to resolve the issue, so he's got something to make it well worth their effort. He's got two suits of T-60 power armor in pristine condition, and if the group will assist him with his issue to its conclusion, the armor is theirs. He'll make sure each suit has a full power core in it when he gives it to them, but he's not going to let them have the armor up front. While he trusts Victor, he believes the group will really help him, he needs to ensure they finish the job. However, he is willing to put the deal in writing and sign off on it, and he'll offer to send Lucinda to Diamond Pass as collateral. Well, after they assist her in the first part of the job. And, and he explains, I need to find out who's behind the renovations, and while I've heard you're good at getting information out of people, I want whoever this is to know I am the one asking and not Victor, though having my assistant there with his top team will certainly send a message. His plan's pretty basic. The group will escort Lucinda down the block to the Fox, where she will inquire about who's running the show. He's positive the answer will be pure lies, but he also knows that every lie contains a nugget of truth, and that will be the lead he'll send the group out on. Once that's done, Lucinda will be escorted to Diamond Pass by another member of Lee's security, and she will stay there until the group completes the job and gets their power armor. Now, I know my group, and they're going to want the deal written out and signed before they head out across the street. Lee, having thought ahead, already drew up a contract and presents it to the group. When they check it out, it's in simple English, and it's obvious he wrote it that way for their benefit. It says exactly what Lee said it would, and there's nothing there that can be twisted on them, so it works like this. The group will track down whomever it is that's responsible for renovating the Fox Theater and will deal with them according to Lee's wishes. They will report back at each stage of the investigation unless following up on a lead has a time restriction that they cannot ignore. Once the individual or individuals responsible have been found and dealt with, Mr. Lee will give them the power armor as payment. Each member of the group will be asked to sign, Mr. Lee will sign, and Lucinda will sign as a witness. Once that's done, Mr. Lee will nod to Lucinda, who addresses the group. I don't think we need to stretch this out any longer than need be, so if you're ready to head down there, I think we should get to it.
The trip down the block goes without incident, and when they get to the Fox Theater, what Lee reported to Victor is more than accurate. The turrets we laid out last week are already in place, and it's obvious they've been powered up. They hear a lot of building noises inside, but just walking in isn't going to be something that can be done, as four individuals in black tactical gear are standing at the doors, guarding. Lucinda gives the group the nod, then steps forward. She introduces herself, though she keeps Mr. Lee's name out of it. She asks if she can speak to someone in charge on site, and the guards, pretty much as expected, deny that request. She shifts gears and asks if there's anyone anywhere that she can speak to about this, as she notes that someone doing this amount of building in this area I control is, as you can understand, troubling. So I'd like to meet with this person face-to-face and see if we can come to some sort of an agreement. By the way, she doesn't say any of that in a threatening way. She makes it all seem like she's concerned and so forth. Two of the guards share glances and one turns to walk inside while the others continue to hold the group outside. After a few moments, the guard returns. He doesn't give her a name, but he gives an address that she can speak to someone at. He says nothing more and it's apparent that from his perspective, this discussion is over. Lucinda makes it a point to thank them, then nods for the group to follow her as she heads back towards the symphony hall. About a half a block short, she turns to the group and gives them the location, noting that I'm in agreement with Mr. Lee. I don't believe this is the person responsible. My gut tells me this is going to be a tail chasing stop for you, but there might be something there that'll lead us to where we needed to be. The location she gives the group is the corner of Minerva and Clara Streets in the Hamilton Heights neighborhood. For those checking me on Google Maps, it's a couple of miles north of Forest Park. In all honesty, this area of the city hasn't had anyone really running things there for quite some time. Anyone who's got any knowledge of the area knows that it's controlled by super mutants, which is why nobody who wants to do business sets up there. So if it's intended to be a trap, it's certainly going to be an interesting one. We're not going to give them any encounters on the way until they get about six or seven blocks away from the location. From there, they'll have three separate encounters with super mutants, and we're going to build the groups up like this. A number of super mutants equal to the total number of group members. Those stats are on pages 366 and 367. There'll be two super mutant brutes, stats on pages 368 and 369. And in the last group, we're going to add a super mutant master. The stats are on page 369 and 370. And if you really want to be a jerk, you can have these encounters bleed into each other so that the super mutants just keep coming in waves. It's something I'm going to keep in my back pocket in case my group runs through that first group pretty quick. Once they get through the last group, they can get to the location and it looks like a dump. At one time, it was a corner bar or a store, and the majority of the building, as well as the block, has been destroyed. However, there is enough here to have something in it, but the group is going to bet their caps that it's not someone with enough caps or stroke to do the kind of renovations that are going on at the Fox. But this is where they were told to go, so I'm sure they're going to head inside, and they're going to be even less impressed with what they find. Hanging bags of meat... And they're not going to want to ask too many questions about what those meats are. There's also papers and other trash strewn all over the floor. Now, the first thing that's going to occur to them is that this was a wild goose chase intended to either kill them or seriously wound them to the point that they'd give up. 
But if they remember what Lee told them, the theory is that if they do a little looking, they might find something. And if the group doesn't think of it, give them a hint and do it in whichever way you think will work best. And they're going to have to do some serious searching to do it. Have them roll straight luck, difficulty two, and let them know that it takes what seems like forever to find it. But they find something they can work with. Two torn pieces of paper from larger notes. One has a list on it. Fox Theater, Diamond Pass, Nuka-Cola Factory, Lemp Brewery, Zoo. The other paper picks up in what is obviously mid-thought. When they get here, we have to have a location set up for them to use. It can't be here. Too much open space to go through. Besides, we just managed to get all of those Japanese plants to start growing again. So that's what they get. And the second note, as you might have figured out by now, is the clue we want them to find. For those familiar with the St. Louis area, it might almost immediately give them the location that they're looking for. But for those who aren't, they'll probably want to return to Mr. Lee. Heck, they'll probably do that anyway. Toss another super mutant encounter at them as they're leaving the area. Same numbers as before, but make sure there is a master in this. They'll get back to the symphony hall, and this time there's four Protectrons standing out front. They give the group access, and there's a Mr. Handy waiting for them. In a voice that's very similar to Lucinda's, they're greeted and taken to Mr. Lee. This time they don't have to wait. They're escorted directly into the office. Mr. Lee greets them and requests a breakdown of what happened. He asks that they start after Lucinda's performance, as she brought him up to date on that before she left for Diamond Pass. Insofar as the list of locations, the best Lee can come up with is that they're locations somebody wants to take over, or at least that they want somebody to think they want to take over. He notes that anybody who wants to try to take over the zoo has to be out of their mind. The second note makes him smile. I don't know if this person intended to make their location this obvious, but there's a part of me that also wonders if they'd anticipated the entire letter being destroyed. Either way, we've got a location for you to check out. It's the Japanese gardens at the Missouri Botanical Gardens. In our time and our world, the Missouri Botanical Gardens host thousands of visitors every year. The Japanese garden is a particular favorite, showing off various flowers and trees from Japan, as well as hosting a Japanese festival every year that draws in people from all over the country. In the fallout world, well, it suffered pretty much the same fate as every other location. But if they've got the flowers in the Japanese garden growing, then they've got something working for them. From the Symphony Hall, it's about an hour to the south-southwest to get to the gardens, so the group will need to think about when they want to head that way. And how that works will depend on time of day, and that will depend on when you use this in your game. If you're doing this before the Brotherhood of Steel mission, we're about two days out. If it's after they've already been rescued, it's the day the fire happens and Victor comes up missing. Just slot this in before the trip north. So use that to determine where you want to put this in. I guess I should have put that up top, but it just occurred to me, so here it is. I guess it's a test to see if you've been paying attention or not. Sorry about that. So let's go ahead and get into the trip to the gardens. I think we need a couple of encounters here, since groups are going to get bored just walking from place to place and looking for information. Let's use batches of gunners, three more than the total number of group members, and the stats are on page 392. 
Use as many encounters as you'd like, and we'll just indicate they're organized into some sort of group, but I haven't really decided what kind of group that's going to be, so go with what you think. When they finally get to the botanical gardens, the location of the Japanese garden should be obvious, since it's the only standing structure still there. It's also the only location with any living plants or trees. Heading into it, they run into a couple of iBots that scan them, and then they move on. They arrive at a wooden shack built on the remains of the building that once held exhibits for the garden. And as they take a closer glance, they realize the shack is built into the remains. There is a door, but it's not locked. And as usual, that should get the hair standing up on the backs of their necks. When they open the door, the stench of death hits them. That should make the hairs on the backs of their necks stand up if it weren't already. What they find next is going to change things. They find a body in a Brotherhood of Steel uniform laid out across a desk, cut open from chin to crotch. Their hollow tags have been taken, and it's obvious from the abrasions on their hands that they went down swinging. They've been dead for a while, no doubt, but why they're here should have the group asking questions. It's search time again. This time we want perception plus luck, difficulty four. The reason for that is that this office has been cleaned out. It's obvious there was a computer terminal in here, but it's gone. It's obvious the file cabinets have been emptied out. There is nothing of any sort of value left in here. So they're going to need to really search and search well to find the spot in the floor that's been moved and or maneuvered. It's apparent it was done to hide something, and that something is a holotape. Playing the tape, they hear a male voice. Night Adams, mission log. As ordered, I've managed to locate the tunnel they dug out below that old theater. The entrance dumps out about two blocks west of the theater and comes out into an alleyway. I have been unable to access the theater itself as the hatch they've got on it is tougher than the supplies I've got on hand. Knight Collins is missing and my assumption is that the intel we got about the muties got her into trouble. With any luck, she followed the paladin's orders and left enough for that group to find and follow. And with any luck, I can hold off the others long enough to give them their report in person. The recording ends there. Now the group's got a way to get into the theater without having to take on all of the security. We also have a conundrum, since we've got a job the group is doing for Mr. Lee that requires them to get into the theater before Victor comes up missing which means I need to do some thinking. And so I think that means we need to stop the build here for today so I can work this out before we move on. So next week, we'll get this figured out and we'll continue the build. In the meanwhile, check out Role Playing History. This week, we're covering the B series of D&D modules, and it's not only informative, but a great nostalgia trip for the old school gamer. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials utilized on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all the fine products produced by Modifius, check out their website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We are all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or check out our website, badgmproductions.net. 
net. Next week, we work out the conundrum we've built ourselves into, and we'll give our groups the payoff for all of this. But that's next week. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you either at Archon 46 or at the game table.